Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. What does it mean for us to grow while we're here to become disciples of Christ and become more like him? And our core verse for this series, you're going to hear this every week. I would say write this verse down, Galatians 4.19, where Paul writes this, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. That's the heart of this series. That's the heart of you living in your new story is that Christ would be formed in you, that Christ would be formed in me, that in us as a church, that Christ would be formed in us and we would become people who are more and more like Jesus, who look more and more like Jesus, and Christ would be formed in us. And so in weeks one and two of this series, it was a little bit more high level talking about these concepts of bounded church, fuzzy churches, and centered churches. We really went high level week one of what that looks like from a bird's eye view. Week two was uh, really focusing on what it means to be a centered church just around Jesus. We wanted to talk all about Jesus last week because we had baptisms and it was incredible. And this week and next week, what we're going to do is we're going to jump down into more of the nitty gritty of the differences between bounded, fuzzy, and centered churches. And as I've mentioned every week, a lot of this concept and idea comes from a book titled Centered Set Church by Mark Baker. So I would highly recommend that book as it's been a great resource for me and I've been able to build from that for this series. And we're also staying grounded in the book of Galatians. And so what we're really going to do this week and next week is cover the specifics and differences of bounded, fuzzy, and centered churches. We want to have some definitions for this because we also don't want to start just whenever someone's doing something we don't like, go, you're being bounded or you're being fuzzy. You're being, you know, we, we, <laughs> we can have a tendency to do that sometimes. So I want us to have clear definitions of what it is that we're talking about. And this can be a little fun to talk about. Some of it might be a little bit cringy. Some of it might bring back some memories from when you were growing up, and you're like, I remember that. But this is going to hopefully be a helpful conversation for all of us as we distinguish between bounded, fuzzy, and centered churches. And if this is your first week here and your first week in this series, you're like, what are you talking about? Bounded, fuzzy, and you're going to find out in just a minute. We're about to hop into it. Is everyone ready? We've got a lot of ground to cover today. Are we good? Okay. First, we're going to talk about bounded church. What is a bounded church? What is a bounded community of faith? What does that look like? What does that even mean? What are we talking about when we say a bounded church or a bounded group of people? Now, for those of you who are here week one, you can think back to that and you're like, I know exactly what that is. But let's just make sure that we're very clear on what we mean by a bounded group. Uh, Mark Baker describes it this way. He says, a bounded group creates a list of essential characteristics that determine whether a person belongs to that group. That's what a bounded group looks like. We're going to be in this group and you're either in this group or you're out of this group. And we have images for each of our points this week that our wonderful Zach Morano, Z Money, he made these for us. And so you're going to see this image on the screen of this is what a bounded church looks like. It should be up in just a moment. Yes. So a bounded church or a bounded faith community, there's a very clear circle and you're either in it or you're not. You're either in the group or you're not in the group. And if you do all of the right things or if you just believe the right things, then you might be able to get in the group. 
but there's a lot of politicking. There's a lot of trying to say the right things and do the right things because if I don't say and do the right things, then I might get kicked out of the group. I may not be a part of it anymore. And so there's this boundary line of you're either in or you are out. And this is an issue that Paul was dealing with in Galatia as he's writing to the church of Galatia. There comes this part in Galatians chapter 2 where Peter starts giving in to this bounded model and Paul has to correct Peter in Galatians 2 verses 11 through 14 because Peter starts hanging around with this group of people that say, if you really love Jesus, if you're really going to be in the group, then you know what? You should also be circumcised. You should still follow the Jewish customs if you really want to be in. And this goes back to week one where Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus who transforms us and rescues us. We don't need to add on all of these other things. And so Paul corrects Peter in Galatians 2. Look at this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. So everything's going good at first. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? And the reason Paul addressed this was, one, because Peter had given into this, but this seemed to be happening in Galatia where there was a group of people who were saying, hey, if you really love Jesus, then you're going to still follow the old customs. And I, I, it's funny because I, I come across some Christians today who, who are like, we should still be following, you know, the Old Testament Jewish customs. I'm like, have you read Galatians before? Have you read, like, it's good to know that history and we need to honor it and know that that's where we came from. But have you, have you read Galatians before? Have you, we, we are in Christ. We don't have to be bogged down or tied down to the, to the law because we have now been set free in Christ, and Peter gets wrapped up in the scripts if you're, you know, if you're really following Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you, I feel very bad for Peter because Peter, people are always being mean to Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Peter did this. If, if Peter was around today, he would probably get fired in most evangelical churches. He'd be that guy that, he's a compromiser. He's a compromiser. He's out. Like people, people would be very upset with Peter. I feel bad for the guy because there are times where it's like, and I also feel a little bit bad for Paul here. Could you imagine being Paul and coming along after Peter, the guy who walked with Jesus for three years and having to say, I got to correct Peter right now. Peter, I got to correct him. The guy who preached the first sermon in Acts chapter two, I got to correct him. Like that's a little awkward as well. But, but Peter is, is giving into this old custom that says, oh, you also have to be circumcised. And I don't think that any of us have had to deal with that tension today. But I think that many of us have been familiarized before with a bounded model of faith and of church. If you, if you really love Jesus, then you will do this. We talked a little bit about this in week one. If you, if you really love Jesus, then you will do this religious custom. If you really love Jesus, then you will pray this way and you will use these words every single time because this is the only way to pray. If you really love Jesus, 
then when you share your faith with other people, you better use these words in this way because if you don't do it this way, and you're like, no, nobody's like that. Yes, people are like that. One time I was at a Christian concert with somebody and this guy gave an invitation at the end of his concert and the guy who I was sitting next to said, he didn't use the word repent. I don't know if those people are actually saved now. And I'm like, what, are, what is going on right now? But we, we get nitpicky and this is the way to do it and this is how you have to do it and this is the only way to do it. And we start adding all of these things on and we start wondering, am I in the group or am I out of the group? What is this? This feels a little weird to me. For many years of my life, I was in a more bounded group. And I remember one time when I was about 16 years old, I was in this group, a group of friends, and I was singing a song to myself. I was singing it to myself. I was not singing it to other people. I don't sing to other people because I can't sing. And I was singing the song to myself by a band. Most of you probably don't know them. Uh, they're called Flight of the Concords. Um, yes, thank you. So some of you know them. I was singing a song to myself from Flight of the Concords. I will be upfront with you. This was not the most appropriate song in the world. This was not, you know, a standard of clean, wonderful music. Now, the part of the song that I was singing at the time was really not that bad. But the song as a whole, I wouldn't sing it here on a Sunday morning. I'd probably be fired. But I, I was singing it to myself, and one of the people in the group overheard me singing the song. And this person said to me, what are you singing? This is like a 16-year-old too. Isn't it crazy how we get people so worked up at such a young age about life? What are you singing? I'm like, uh, uh. And, she's like, and that person said, how do you justify that? That was always the question. How can you justify that? How can you justify that? That was always like, how can you justify doing that? I'm like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I was just singing, I was just singing Flight of the Concords. I'm really sorry right now. Well, how can you justify that? And I knew, I knew I was done then. I knew that other people in the group were going to find out that I sang that song because we made sure to gossip about one another even though we're not supposed to gossip. And I, and I felt really bad because at that time, I was accepted in the group. People loved me in the group. I was kind of elevated in the group. And I was like, oh man, if other people find out, I'm not going to be seen as holy in this group. You know, People are going to think that I have some problems. People are thinking, and then sure enough, a few hours later, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I heard you were singing a pretty inappropriate song earlier. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and, and I, I felt really bad. I kept trying to think of ways, how do, how, what, do I, what do I do right now? And, and, how does it, and this is what a bounded group will do. If you're not doing just the right things in just the right way, then you might feel as if you're on the border of being kicked out of the group or you don't quite have the same status that you once had in the group. And it's, that's not freedom in Christ. That's not godly restorative accountability. It's walking on eggshells and always just trying to impress other people so that we can just stay in the group. And we just put on a face and we pretend that we're somebody that we're not just so we can keep our status. Just so things look good. And it, it's almost like what Peter gave into. It's a form of religious peer pressure just to fit in. I remember some of the bounded groups I was in, you couldn't question certain things. You couldn't, we are pre-trib rapture. And if you don't believe in pre-trib rapture, then you're not doing the right thing. It's like, oh, okay, okay. If, if you don't vote for this certain party, then you cannot be a Christian. And just to be clear, that happens on both sides of the aisle. It happens more on one side than the other, but it happens on both sides of the aisle where we start to use politics to leverage faith. And it's just like, why are we doing this and saying people are in or out? This is about Jesus, and you know, Jesus would say, if you're a Republican, you should serve the Democrat. And if you're a Democrat, you should serve the Republican. That's what Jesus would say. 
That's the way of Jesus, to serve one another and to love one another, not, oh, in and out, but there's this pressure, and this is what the bounded group starts to feel like, and it's a religious superiority of, we do a few extra things, and Paul was dealing with this in Galatians 2. Oh, you know, we're the real ones because we still practice the old customs. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt this before. You've been in a group, and you're like, this doesn't feel a lot like Jesus. This feels more like I could be kicked out if I don't say and do the right things. And it's bounded and it's hurtful and it hurts. So we have uh, reflection questions for, hopefully you'll go over these in your story group or with another group of people at some point in time. Write these down and I want you to go over these. Have you ever found yourself feeling superior to others because of religious practices that you engage in? You see, we love to focus on how we have been victims of bounded models because a lot of us have been, but few of us recognize times that we've also been people who have been bounded and judgmental towards others. I've been there. I've done it. I could tell you story after story. There are t- so have there been moments, have there been times when you found yourself feeling superior to others because of religious practices that you engage in? You know, I read my Bible every day. The, they read it like once a week. I'm a better Christian, you know? Have you ever been there before, feeling superior to others because of religious practices that you engage in? Second question is this for this one. There's a lot of questions here, but when you see or hear of someone participating in sin, does your heart break for them? Or do you get angry at them? Or do you start feeling better about yourself? and building yourself up. When you see or hear of someone else participating in sin, does your heart break for them? And you know what I've noticed? A lot of us within the church, when we hear of an individual that we love participating in sin, our heart does break for them. But when we see a group on television or a group on the internet or a group on social media that we don't like doing something that we think is sinful, all of a sudden our heart doesn't break anymore and we just get mad at them. Those people, those people, those people. They're doing this, they're doing that. Yes, there's a sense in which sin itself can make our hearts angry and frustrated because we know that that leads to death. But when we hear or know of someone participating in sin, does our heart break for them? Or do we just get angry? Do we just get frustrated? Do we just get worked up? If we're just getting angry and frustrated and worked up and I gotta say something, that might be a bounded mindset building up within you or a bounded heart building up within you. So there's bounded church, there's bounded faith models and we don't want that. We don't want to in groups, out groups, this or that, we're better. We're not, that's not what we want. But the second extreme is to be fuzzy. Fuzzy church. Now, this is a term that Baker uses in his book. And as I was rehearsing this past week and using the word fuzzy over and over again, I was like, we probably could have picked a better word or a different word, but because I kept thinking like fuzzy wuzzy and all this weird stuff. And it's like, but, but this is it. So, so some of us go from bounded. There's really clear lines of who's in and who's out. And then we go somewhere else. We still want to follow Jesus. We still want to be connected to Jesus. And then we end up in a group that's maybe a little bit more fuzzy. And Baker describes it this way. He says, in a fuzzy model, the boundary line is removed or at least less clear. The grounds for distinction are rather vague. And so the group is fuzzy. 
What exactly is going on here? What are we doing here? At first, it feels really good because we're just, we're just going to encourage everyone for Jesus. We're just going to love everyone for But then after a while, it's like, what is going on here? What direction are we moving in? And here's, here's the image for the fuzzy model. It just looks a little bit chaotic. There's, there's a bunch of, there's a lot of movement happening, but there's not necessarily a specific direction of the movement. After a while, it, it feels really good at first, but after some time, we start to wonder what exactly is happening here? What is going on here? Who are we and what are we doing? It's, it feels good, but, but what is happening? And I, I just want to be upfront here. As I was about six or seven months ago, I started praying about who are we going to, what, what are some next steps for us as New Story Church? I was trying to think through, okay, how, we're, how can people be discipled? How can we become more like Christ? Because we don't want to be bounded. And a lot of people say they don't want to be, you know, legalistic, because that's the term I was using at the time before I found this book. We don't want to be legalistic. And a lot of people say they don't want to be legalistic, but then they end up being legalistic. And so how, how do I figure that out? How do we r- wrestle with this tension? And then I, I really think it was by God's grace I stumbled upon this book. And as I was reading this and looking at the fuzzy model, I had to have a moment of kind of personal repentance in my heart. I was like, God, I think there have been times at New Story where we've maybe been a little bit fuzzy at times, where we haven't always, we've been like, yeah, everyone, and we want everybody to be here. We want everyone to know that Christ died for everyone. Christ equally loves everybody. There is no partiality in him. Acts 10, Peter makes that clear. But, but we also want to, like, where are we going? It's like, we, I don't want us to be fuzzy. I want us to, to know where we're going because here, here's the thing. We love to talk about the damage of bounded churches. We all love to get in a circle and tell our crazy stories of, you wouldn't believe what I heard at that Christian camp growing up. We love to do that. And it's kind of fun and we laugh and then we get angry about it. We love to talk about the, the damage of bounded models. But what we don't often talk about is that there's damage that comes from being fuzzy as well. There's damage that can come from not being clear of this is who we are and this is who we are going to become. And there's going to be some accountability. There could occasionally be some corrective conversations. And in Baker's book, he tells a story, a woman by the name of Teresa, who gives her testimony of when she experienced some damage in a fuzzy church or a fuzzy model. She says this, At a point when I most needed direction and discipleship, I instead experienced a community of people lost and wandering. Metaphorically, many of us jumped off bridges while the rest watched. There were times I found myself on the rocks below, feeling fundamentally unseen and uncared for wondering why my brothers and sisters in Christ were acting as observers. I wonder if some of us have been there before. We know we're in a dangerous spot. We know that we need help. But because of the group that we're now in, we don't know if we're actually going to get the help that we need. Or I wonder how many of us have noticed that there's somebody who could use some help. But because we are so concerned about being labeled legalistic or unloving that we don't speak up and say something. I wonder how many of us have been there before. I've noticed that for fuzzy people, because I've been in this group before as well, when we get in a fuzzy mindset, 
We really love a, a bunch of different stories. We're going to talk about uh, some fuzzy mindsets in Galatians next week, but I want to jump over to John chapter 8 here this morning because this is John chapter 8. This is like the mantra of fuzziness. This is like the mantra of people who are in the fuzzy mindset. We love John 8. See, what happens in John chapter 8 is there's a story of a woman who's caught in adultery and the religious leaders bring her before Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do? The law says that we should stone her. What are you going to do about this, Jesus, trying to catch him? And Jesus says this in John 8, 7. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Boom, I love that from Jesus. That is, that is awesome. Like He stands by this woman. He stands up for her, somebody that they're trying to embarrass, somebody they, oh, let's bring the woman out, but let's not expose the man. This is, just, this is such an inc- a crazy story. Let's just bring her out and embarrass her. And Jesus stands by her. He stands up for her, and he stands with her. He, as many Christians would say, he meets her where she is at. That preaches, that is true. I will affirm that all day long. Jesus does just that. He loves her and stands by her when nobody else will. And he speaks back to the powers that be and says, who do you think you are? Why don't you throw the first stone? And, and we as fuzzy people, we, when we get into a fuzzy mindset, we love that. Oh, Jesus will meet you where you are at. He will just be there. He will care for you. And yes, he will. That will preach. That is true. I will affirm that every single time. But we forget what else Jesus says to this woman. Because once Jesus stands by her and the, and the people who are accusing her leave, Jesus looks at her and says this in John 8, 10 through 11. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Once again, what a beautiful statement. I don't condemn you either. I'm standing by you. I am standing with you. We are seeing the heart of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus will go to the greatest lengths possible. Philippians 2 talks about that. He will go as far as he possibly can to redeem and rescue and love and stand by humanity. He says, I do not condemn you. But then he says this to her. And this is the line where we start getting fuzzy. We don't love this line as much. He says to her, go from now on, sin no more. So yes, Jesus will meet you where you're at. Jesus will go to the greatest lengths possible to rescue you. Jesus will comfort you. He will walk with you. He will give you peace. But he also sets you free to live a new kind of life. He also sets you free to let go of the old and then to walk forward in the new. He will meet you there, but he doesn't want you to stay stuck there. He wants you to see a vision of a new life that he has in store for you. He says, go and sin no more. Let go of that and live in the new life that I have for you. We don't want to just tell one part of the story. We want to tell the full story that Jesus will meet us where we are at, but then he sets us free to let go of the sin that is holding us down, the sin that is keeping us entrapped, the sin that is keeping us binded and sets us free to move forward. So here are some of our questions for the fuzzy church. In what ways have you been fuzzy with your own spiritual development? What are some things that maybe you've been holding on to that you know are actually holding you back or holding you down? Some things that you know are actually keeping you from experiencing the fullness of the freedom that Christ has for you. In what ways have you been fuzzy with your own spiritual development? Secondly, next question, have you been fuzzy with others when they reach out to you for help? 
Have there been some people you know they could use some help? They've reached out to you and, and, and you're just so, I don't want to be seen as legalistic. I don't want to be seen as bounded. So, so I'm just not going to say anything. Instead of maybe trusting the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say and walk with that person. Have you been fuzzy with others when they reach out to you for help? And then third question is this. Have you, this is, a, this is another one to think, have you grown bounded? Because here's what happens before I ask this question. Sometimes with fuzzy people, what happens is they also then become bounded. And their boundary becomes, <laughs> we're not one of those bounded Christians. We know a little bit more than them. You know, we, we've read some books that they haven't read. We've, we've listened to some sermons that they haven't listened to. We know just a little bit more than them. And the fuzzy group actually ends up becoming bounded as well. And their boundary becomes, we're not one of those bounded churches. We do things a little bit better. That's not a heart of humility either. And we don't want to become that. So the question is this, have you grown bounded in your fuzziness? Have you grown bounded towards other Christians with feelings of bitterness, anger, judgmentalism, and superiority towards those who don't see things the way that you do. Be honest. Be, ask these questions among others. Talk about this. This is something that has definitely happened in my life before. Once again, I will admit it. I'll be right out there. There have been times where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I just, you know. But have you been bounded towards other Christians with feelings of bitterness, anger, judgmentalism, and superiority towards those who don't see things the way that you do? Remember, as we talked about last week, Christ calls us to unity. Christ's prayer is that his church be unified, not just with a new story, but also with others as well, others who are followers of Christ, that we would be people who are unified. So there's bounded church, there's fuzzy church. What's the alternative that we've been talking about each and every week here? Centered church. To be a church that is centered around Jesus, to be a church that is centered around the cross. We want to be a church where, where the cross is at the center and we're moving towards the cross together. Baker uh, defines centered church in this way in his book. He said, in a centered church, the cross is the centered focus. Therefore, the critical question is to whom do we offer worship and allegiance? In Galatians, we might imagine Paul asking centered questions such as this. Write some of these questions down. These are good questions to ask others. Are you living according to the new creation reality created by God's actions through Jesus Christ? Are you trusting God for your security or placing your security in certain rituals and beliefs? I've totally been there before, placing, oh, I do this, I do that, then I'm good with God. No, it is in Christ that we are loved. It is in Christ. That, but anyways, in which direction are you heading? That's a critical question for a centered mindset. What direction are you headed in? What direction are you moving in? So here's the chart of what a centered church looks like. In this chart, the cross is at the center. And imagine the cross is a little bit bigger for some of those arrows that are moving towards the cross. But your life is either moving towards the cross or it's moving away from the cross or in a different direction. And so the centered model is about having personal conversations with other people for discipleship and asking, are you moving towards the cross or away from the cross? How are these decisions that you're making right now making you more like Jesus and being formed into the likeness of Christ as Galatians 4.19 talked about? It's about our, what's the trajectory of your life right now? See that guy right there, he's like moving towards the cross. And then over here, we got someone moving away. And it's, it's about recognizing and seeing, are the 
decisions that I'm making right now moving me towards Christ-likeness or away? Anybody can be here. Anybody can be involved. Anybody can be in this life that Christ has for us. It's not about drawing a circle and saying only certain people can be here who look this way and think this way and act this way, but it's about moving towards the center. So an analogy would be this. A bounded model is kind of like the high school basketball team. Some people make it, some people don't. Some people are just going to get cut because you know what? You don't, you don't have what we need for this team. That's the bounded model. And if you don't have it, we're just going to cut you. The fuzzy model is like a pickup game of basketball and you walk by and people are like running around with the ball and not dribbling. Some people are going and they're shooting on the wrong hoop. There are people who are playing defense and they don't know how to play and they're just shoving people. You're like, that's not how, this is not football. This is basketball. That's not how you play defense. And people are getting scraped knees and being shoved on the ground. Everyone can play, but it's chaos. The centered model is a pickup game of basketball where we do try to work together to know the regulations of what basketball is, but anybody can play. And if somebody's not as good, we're going to work with them to get them to where they need to be. We're going to work together and we're going to, we're going to do this together. Centered models, everyone can play, but there is a way to play basketball. Baker describes it this way. He said, a bounded model is high expectations with low inclusivity. A, a fuzzy model is high inclusivity, but with low expectations. A centered model is high inclusivity and high expectations. There's a way of becoming more and more like Jesus, and we want to have centered conversations in a loving way that moves one another towards the cross. And this is what Paul does with Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Look at these words in Galatians 2.14. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Then I saw that they were not following the truth. They weren't moving towards the cross or the, towards the gospel. And so I had to ask Peter, Peter, why are you doing this? Peter, what's, Peter, what's going on here? In commentating on this text, I'll, I'm going to read a quote from Mark Baker one more time. Uh, he says this, Paul's centered approach is immediately evident in verse 14. Paul is not fuzzy. He confronts Peter. He also is not bounded. A centered approach evaluates orientation towards the center or away from it and evaluates movement. Are they getting closer or moving away from the center? We sense the focus on orientation and movement in Paul's statement. They were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So there, there is a truth involved here. We talked about in week one, there's truth and grace, but it's about, it's about movement. And here's what we all have to be okay with sometimes. Not everybody is going to move at the same pace that you're moving at. Not everybody is going to move at the same pace that you're moving at. Also with some people, they have things that are personal convictions that may not be a personal conviction for you. Let me give you an example. Growing up, I, I had some some various Christian friends from different places. And uh, there was one guy, he was a coworker of mine back at this, I worked at a cowboy boot store. Can you imagine me selling cowboy boots? I worked at a cowboy boot store and we sold Carhartt and stuff, but that's where I worked. And uh, there was a guy who I worked with. He was, he was uh, actually, no, I, I worked with his wife, but I got to know him very well. And he was, he was in his mid forties and he just, he didn't listen to any secular music at all. He only listened to Christian music. 
And he said, hey, if other Christians want to listen to secular music, he goes, I'm fine with that. He said, but for me, because of my past life and because of some of the affiliations with that, I just, I just don't do it. I just don't do it. But if other people want to do it, that's fine. I, he's like, I'm not going to turn that into a sin issue for other people. There are sometimes things where maybe God gives you a personal conviction about something. We become legalists when we start turning personal convictions into everybody's convictions. There are some things that are just personal, that are between you and God, and we don't need to impose them on everybody else. And I really appreciated that approach of his. And I, and I saw that at a young age, and that was a completely foreign thing to me because a lot of the things that I had learned were bounded for one is bounded for all. You know, this rule, and it's, and, and no, there are some things that are just personal convictions. And he, to him, he was like, for me, and he really genuinely had no problem with other people doing that. You know, there are some people who tell you they have no problem with other people doing that, but then they're a little bit like judgmental about it. He genuinely didn't, but it was, it was for, and there's a little bit of sometimes recognizing the difference between a personal conviction and something that's for everyone. And, and the centered model is what direction are you moving in? So the ultimate, the ultimate verse, I would say, for centered accountability, because we do want, okay, we don't want to be bounded. We don't want to be fuzzy. How do we hold people accountable in a centered way without being bounded? How do we do that? I would say, write this verse down, memorize this verse, look at this verse every single day. Galatians 6.1, this is the ultimate verse for centered accountability. Paul says this, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Let's read that again. This is, this is really, really important. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, go correct them and tell them they could be going to hell. No, he doesn't say that. You who are godly should gently and humbly, you know what, gently and humbly? Because I could just as easily be there as they are. Gently and humbly. Go tell them what's right and then leave them alone. No. Gently and humbly help that person. Live life with them. Walk with them back onto the right path. And be careful, this is a warning to the fuzzy people, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Don't just fall into that yourself, but gently and humbly restore and walk with them. This is such a beautiful passage in Galatians 6.1 of how do we have centered accountability? So here's some closing application questions. You can write down, ask yourself this, or ask us in a group. What have you been holding on to that has been keeping you from moving towards Jesus? What have you been holding on to that has been keeping you from moving towards Jesus? Or what have you been holding on to that has been keeping you from becoming more and more like Christ as Christ is being formed in you? We could even have these discussions sometimes as a church or within our groups. What have we been holding on to that has been keeping us from becoming more and more like Jesus? Second question would be this. Is there anyone that you need to have a centered conversation with that you have been avoiding? This goes back to the fuzzy question. Is there someone you, is there someone you should be having a centered conversation with that you have been avoiding? And then lastly, I think we have one more here. How can you contribute to New Story being a church that is centered on, that is centered around Jesus? How can you continue to contribute to us being a church that is centered around Jesus? 
we'll all have our tendencies at times to be a little more bounded or to be a little bit more fuzzy, but ultimately we want to, with grace and humility, move towards the center together. And how can you be a part of us being a church that is centered around Jesus and moves towards Christ-likeness and becoming like Christ together? We are not intended and meant to do faith alone. We are meant to do this together with one another. We've been given one another to grow together. And yeah, there might be some difficult conversations sometimes. There might be some misunderstandings. There might also times be things we don't agree on. But ultimately, we are moving towards the cross together and in that being formed into Christ's likeness and becoming more and more like Jesus. If you would, please bow your heads and join me for prayer in this moment. Jesus, we thank you 